video is the build our home group ministry, which is beginning very soon. Today is sign up day. So in our communications over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the different groups and encouraging you to become a part of one of them. So we have a young adult group that meets on Sunday night and, and they met all summer long as well. They ate all summer long, that's basically what they did. But just an excuse to get together and eat. But they do have Bible studies as well, but amazing fellowship and community in that group. And then there's the men's group, and we're a real men's group, like we chew on tough things and stuff. <laughs> but we even cried a little bit. So we're real men. We've been to the every now and then. And there's a women's group, and then some mixed uh, couples and singles. So Please take the time and make the effort to be a part of the home group this year. There's also a shape class which is being offered as one of the options. And it's only for six weeks. But if the group is enjoying being together so much, then you can actually continue on and do something else for the other seven weeks of the semester. So there are orange cards on the back of the chair in front of you. These are the sign-up commitment cards. Heather Stewart, our home group champion, will be at the back door with us, reading on the way out, so you can pass that to her or to one of our classmates as well. A little boy had left his half-eaten apple in the back seat of the car for about 30 minutes, and then when he went to pick it up, it was this ugly brown color, and he was disgusted. He said, Daddy, but why did my apple turn brown like that? And then this is what his father said. After you ate the skin off the apple, the meat of the apple was exposed to the air, causing it to oxidize, thus changing its molecular structure and turning it to a different color. And then there's this long pause. Like, Daddy, are you talking to me? But sometimes we feel that way when we're trying to understand God. But in this series of teaching, we're actually looking at the surprising truth about God. And we're looking at a subject that is beyond our comprehension. Look at Isaiah 40. Has anyone told the Lord what he must do or given him advice? So we ask ourselves, that how can human beings, the created ones, actually understand our God? But we're told in Scripture that we can understand this perfectly holy and omnipotent God. And we can understand what He wants in our lives. We can understand what His will is for us. So we have to know Him in order to understand that. Acts 17 records an incident where the Apostle Paul went to the town of Athens. And he went there to teach the people about the one true God. And he was convicted to speak at a meeting of the Areopagus, which was basically the religious elite of that town or city. And this was a difficult challenge for Paul for a few reasons. First of all, the people of Athens were proud of their intellectual heritage. It was a university town, just like we're a university town here. And then in Acts 17, 21, more than anything else, the people of Athens and the foreigners living there loved to hear and to talk about anything new. So here was Paul, 
He was going to present a very simple message about the fact that God came into this world in the person of Jesus Christ, that he died for us, and that he then rose from the grave. And the idea of a crucified Christ was, in the Bible, referred to as foolishness to the Greeks. And the idea of coming back from the dead, like that was just implausible to the enlightened minds of Athens. And that's who he was speaking to. And then it was also difficult because of their shallow religious beliefs. Look at verse 16. While Paul was waiting in Athens, he was upset to see all the idols in the city. There were idols everywhere. An idol to every god that they could think of. And then they still had one other idol to the unknown god, just in case they missed one and they wanted to appease him. So they had an idol and an inscription all prepared for him. So here's Paul going into this place to tell them about the one true God, about Jehovah, who insisted, do not worship any God except me. Now that exclusiveness is not going to go over well in a place like Athens. Now there are the same challenges that we're facing today as evangelical Christians in our own country. People are proud of their intellect. And the gospel story, it just seems to be a little too simple, too old, maybe too supernatural to actually be plausible. So our society is so proud of our tolerance. Like the God of one culture is just as good as the God of another culture. You follow your God, I'll follow my God. But don't try to impress your religious values on me. So words like diversity and tolerance, they're the buzzwords in our society today. And the idea that there's one true God that we should all be worshiping together, well that just seems to be so narrow-minded. So Paul is introducing the Athenians to a God who was all-powerful. And that was the message that was needed then, and it's the message that's needed today, because many people have a distorted image of God. They reject the God of the Bible. They fashion their own God to accommodate their lifestyle. We want the rules that a God might present to fit in with the way that I am going to live. So let's study Paul's description of God. We're going to see it in four areas. We see the power of God to create. So Acts 17, 24. This God made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he doesn't live in temples built by human hands. We don't actually have the ability to create anything. We discover that maybe we also will manufacture something, but it's always from items that God has created in the first place. But we have some people in our church that are very talented artists, and they don't actually create a painting. They take a brush, they take they take a canvas, some things that have already been created, and manufacture a painting. But God has the power to create something from nothing. So we know that matter can be transformed into energy, but God actually reversed the process and transferred energy into matter. Back in the book of Genesis, we don't have these up above, and I'm just going to hit the highlights. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, I command light to shine. And it happened. I read a bumper sticker once that said, God spoke 
and bang, it happened. And that's exactly the way it was. So everything else that he spoke about, I command the road to separate the water above from the water below. I command the earth to produce plants and fruit trees and grain. I command lights to appear in the sky, to separate day from night. And then I command that there be a powerful light to rule the day, and a lesser one to rule the night. Then he put stars in the sky. Then he said, I am going to place creatures on this earth, and fish in the sea. And then he said, I am going to now make human beings, and they will be like us, and we will let them rule the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, and all the other living creatures. So God created humans to be like himself, and made men and women. That's his creative power. That's why the psalmist expressed this amazement at the power of God. I often think, in, in Psalm chapter 8, I often think of the heavens your hands have made, and of the moon and stars you put in place. Then I ask, why do you care about us humans? Why are you concerned for us weaklings? There's a clip that I want to show you. It's from a message that was preached by Francis Chan, and it gives us an idea of the magnitude of the creative power of God. What, what, what you're seeing right now, first of all, this is the earth, okay? This is you're taking off from the earth from Southern California. We're going we're gonna to rise up a little bit here, and we're going to pull away from it. We're going to pull higher. Now, this is at about 10 kilometers. Like, if you climb Mount Everest, this is what you'd see. You'd see the curvature of the earth from that distance. Now you're going to climb up even higher. This is at 100 kilometers. And you're a fourth of the way to the space station now. This is what you'd see. If you get to this level, you're considered an astronaut. Just, if you ever get there. Okay, now we're going 100,000 kilometers. 100,000 kilometers from Earth. You're a fourth of the way to the moon. That's what the earth would look like. Now we're going to pull away to a million kilometers. At a million kilometers, there's the moon. Okay? There's the moon. You can barely see the Earth. You're at a million kilometers now. You're past the, past the moon. And uh, now we're going to go to 100 million kilometers. 100 million kilometers. You're still not to the sun. The sun's 93 million miles away. But now we're going to go to 10 trillion kilometers. Ten, there's the sun. Okay. You just passed the sun. Now you can see all of the planets at 10 trillion kilometers. And now, we're at 10 to the 15th power. That means 10 with 15 zeros. I don't know what that number is. 15 zeros. And the sun's just like a bright dot amidst other stars. And now, we're going to 10 light years away. At 10 light years away. Come on, there you go. 10 light years away. Now you just see the sun with like 11 other stars that are kind of its neighbors. You know, that, 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 that's our sun. And now we're going to go a thousand light years away. At a thousand light years away, you, you wouldn't even see our sun anymore. These are just a bunch of stars close to it in this cluster inside the Milky Way. Now we're going to zoom out even further, and that's the Milky Way we live in. See that cluster of stars? Those are about 100,000 stars that are closest to us, and we can't see our sun anymore at this point. Now this is our Milky Way galaxy. Forget about the Earth. Okay. There's our Milky Way galaxy that we live in. Um, and we're just buried in there somewhere. And we're going to pull out even further. 
and you'll see that our galaxy is actually, it's, it's a big galaxy, and, uh, and all those other things you're seeing now are galaxies. And we're going to pull away 10 million light years now. This next scene is 10 million light years. Those are all galaxies you see amidst our Milky Way, several hundred galaxies. Now we go 100 million light years away. It's the last one. We're going to zoom out to 100 million light years. Those are all clusters of galaxies. Galaxies and clusters of galaxies. You won't even see our Milky Way galaxy anymore amidst that. We don't have telescopes that go beyond that little sphere there. Isn't that amazing? The, the creative power of God, how far it goes. And what amazes me too is how they can get pictures of that. And I have trouble from here to the front row of chairs with the camera getting people in the middle. That they can capture the amazing creative power of God in those pictures. Do you know something? As amazing as that is, there's something else that God created in verse 25 of chapter 17. He doesn't need help from anyone. He gives life, breath, and everything else to all people. So God's power just isn't revealed in the enormity of the universe, but it's made up in the tiny, complex cells that make you and make me. Like, God isn't just omnipotent, but He's omniscient. Like, His mind is amazing. He, His brilliant mind planted the DNA structure in your body to make you who you are to give you the personality that you had. In Romans 1.20, God's eternal power and character cannot be seen, but from the beginning of creation, God has shown what these are like by all he has made. That's why those people don't have any excuse. Now the atheist doesn't want to find God, but because there's nothing that testifies to God's omniscience and God's power than the structure of the human body. We talk about the fact that we make tools, we create tools, but no tool can match the human hand. There's no camera that's as great as the human eye. We look at a telephone system and we think that's amazing, even with fiber optics and whatever else you use, but that doesn't compare to the nervous system in our body. There's no computer that can match what a 36-ounce human brain can do. There's no pump that can match the human heart. But the human heart keeps going for, we hope, 70, 80, and more years. And every year, the heart pumps 280 tons of blood. That's how much it pumps through our veins. And it goes so silently that the doctor has to use a stethoscope in order to hear it pumping through our veins. That's the type of body that God has created for us. They only a fool would say, there is no God. The one thing I always say is, how can you stand and hold a newborn baby and say that there isn't any God? That every profession has their times when they maybe prey upon people a little bit. I know when a baby's born, my brother, when he was selling life insurance, he would see the announcement in the paper. And he would go visit the family and try and sell life insurance to that child. And we see that taking place in other careers. But my father-in-law was a pastor, and he said, No, Greg, if there's a family that doesn't believe in God, 
and they have a baby, a new baby, that's the time to go visit them. Because they'll be so open to spiritual matters. Just looking at that child, you can't help but think that there has to be a God. Paul speaks also of God's power to control. But from one person, this is in chapter 17, verse 26. From one person, God made all nations who live on earth. And he decided when and where every nation would be. But we usually lose control over the things that we manufacture. Like in old movies like Frankenstein, you see this man, the beast that was created, and then the doctor lost control of it. In Jurassic Park, the created dinosaurs were very soon totally out of control. And that lack of maintained power is also evident in real life. That <coughs> we've created nuclear power, but that got out of control at places like Chernobyl. And then when it gets into the hands of some dictator, some madman, it becomes terrorizing. And then the government develops programs like social assistance and old age pension, but the power gets out of control. Politicians have power, but that soon can get out of control. And someone was speaking to Nelson Mandela one time, and he said, you know, you're an unusual leader. Like, you were the first politician to go to prison before you actually became a politician and took office. And it's true in a lot of cases. God's power wisely, patiently, controls the things in the universe that he is overseeing daily, that he created it. He didn't just wind the world up like a top and then let it go and say, look, you're on your own. He is a part of that. And Paul said he planned the specific area for each nation to occupy and the exact length of time that that ruler would be in power and when that ruler would be dethroned. Look with me at Romans 13, 1. Obey the rulers who have authority over you. Only God can give authority to anyone. And he puts these rulers in their places of power. But the authorities of the Soviet Union basically thumbed their noses at God and wouldn't believe that he even existed. But then, amazingly, back in the early 1990s, that nation came tumbling down inexplicably. Pilate said to Jesus, Don't you know that I have the power to let you go or nail you to a cross? And I love Jesus' response because he would have been standing there with his hands tied behind his back. And he responded by saying, You would have no power if it wasn't given to you by God above. That's the type of power that he has, the power to create, the power to control. And then in Colossians 1, verses 16 to 17, everything was created by him, everything in heaven and on earth, everything seen and unseen, including all forces and powers, and all rulers and authorities. All things were created by God's Son, and everything was made for him. God's Son was before all else, and by Him, everything is held together. So God is in control, and He's promised that this world will survive until He decides that it's time to shut her down, basically. And then He controls us as well, in verse 28 of Acts 17. 
and he gives us the power to live, to move, and to be able to be who we are. We are his children, just as some of your poets have said. And we like to think that we're in control, but God guides, he protects, he oversees our lives with freedom. And he's not watching from a distance. He's up close, he's personal, he's right there in us, around us, he's everywhere. A mother cat was trying to carry one of her little kittens across a busy intersection in Manhattan at rush hour. And she tried, but she'd run out partway into the intersection, and then a car would come along, she'd dash back to the curb, she'd see another opening, she'd rush out, and then a car would come back to the curb. And there was a policeman directing traffic, and he felt sorry for that cat, so he stopped traffic in all four directions, and then the cat just shot across that intersection, not even knowing that the power of the New York City Police Department had enabled it to safely cross that busy intersection. And I'm wondering how many times in our lives things happen where God is protecting us and we're totally oblivious to the fact that the power of the Almighty God is protecting us in that situation. There's a song we sing that says, Our God is an awesome God. He reigns in heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. So He created us, and He's controlling the world. And now we see the power of God to judge in verse 31. He has set a day when he will judge the world's people with fairness. And he has chosen the man, Jesus, to do the judging for him. And God has given proof of this to all of us by raising Jesus from death. If we don't respect judicial power the way we should today, it, it might be because of decisions that are made or maybe decisions that aren't made. But there was a man who was 62 years of age, his name was Dean Redmond, and he was arrested 308 times over a 45-year period for drunk driving. And then he finally got one year in jail and a $200 fine. And the judge who finally imprisoned him said, I couldn't suspend the guy's license because he didn't have one. But just imagine what our system is like, that a man would get through that many times of being such a danger on the road before he was finally imprisoned. So we don't know much about justice, but God has the power to judge. 1 Peter 2.23 Although he was abused, he never tried to get even. And here he's talking about Jesus on the cross. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he had faith in God, who judges fairly. And back in the days of Noah, God said, I'm going to be starting all over again here. He was sorry for creating human beings in the first place, and he saw the evil that had taken over. So he warned the people, and he said, I am going to be judged by a flood. And if you don't get yourself right with me, then you're going to perish forever. So Noah was a righteous man. He and his family members were righteous. So Noah was building an ocean liner in his backyard. And the people were ridiculing him. But then one day when God decided, it was actually after 120 years, Noah and his family and those chosen animals walked into that ark. The big door was closed. And then the rain just started to pelt down. And when we were in Calgary, 
On the last night we were there, we experienced an Alberta hailstorm. I heard about it, but never been in one. But hailstones the size of the golf balls that were in my golf bag. And they were pelting onto that rental van that we had. I couldn't get it undercover. I was just kind of cringing until that was over and waiting for the next morning to see how much damage they would talk about. And I get there and the guy's got this orange marker and he's circling every place where there was damage from hailstones. There were a lot of other cars that were in that same trouble. But just imagine the power of the rain that was falling when Noah and his family were into that flood. It rained so hard, it rained so much, water came up from below. The water was 20 feet above the highest mountain. And the Bible says that every living thing on the earth perished. Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities that were noted for their defiance of God in the area of sexual sin. Not even two righteous people could be found in either of those cities. And Lot was warning his family. He said, you've got to get out of the city. The city is going to be destroyed. But they thought that he was crazy. But they wouldn't listen to him. And then, finally, God's judgment came upon those people. And the Lord rained down burning sulfur. And every living thing left in Sodom and Gomorrah perished. And archaeologists have actually discovered the remains of Sodom. And they also found the remains of sulfur. So it would be like being trapped in a volcanic eruption. That's what took place for the people that were in that they're in both those cities. And the Bible warns that at the end of time, God will once again judge the people of the world for their wickedness. 2 Peter 3, verse 7. God has commanded the present heavens and earth to remain until the day of judgment. Then they will be set on fire, and ungodly people will be destroyed. So there's going to be destruction again. God promised it in the past, and it happened He's promising it in the future, and if we aren't prepared, we will be a part of that. And I testified in court, and then was there when the judge pronounced judgment upon this man. He was six foot three, 225, 230 pounds, and the judge said, you are guilty, and I am sentencing you to 15 years in a maximum security penitentiary. And then I saw the look of terror on that man's face and he just fainted to the ground. Some of his family members tried to get to him but they weren't allowed to. But can you just imagine standing before the powerful judge of this universe and if you aren't right in your relationship with God, if you're still living in your sins and guilty for your sins and you hear him say that word, guilty, it's going to be a dreadful thing to be in that place. So God has the power to create, to control, then to judge. But the most important power he has is the power to save. I'm going to read the last part of verse 31 again. God has given proof of this to all of us by raising Jesus from death. And then Paul's going to go on and talk about Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead in verse 32. As soon as the people heard Paul say that a man had been raised from death, some of them started laughing. Others said, we will hear you talk about this some other time. So they sneered at him when they heard these words. They didn't take him seriously. 
A small amount of dynamite placed strategically in a large building will cause that building to implode upon itself and become a pile of rubble. A megaton nuclear bomb has the power to wipe out a city the size of Calgary. The Calgary is a big city. It's bigger than Manhattan now. There is power to destroy. There is power also to manipulate people in our world. A high school teacher was the terror of the whole school. She was such a strict disciplinarian that the kids were petrified of her. And her name was Mrs. Bloodworth, and that might have been part of it. But the word was around the school that you don't want to be late for Mrs. Bloodworth's class. And nobody was late. And nobody knew what the punishment would be because nobody wanted to push that envelope. But one day, this kid was running through the halls and the principal stopped him and said, Son, don't you know the rules about no running in the hallways? He said, Yes, sir, I know, but I'm going to be late for Mrs. Bloodworth's class. Run, son, run! <laughs> like, that even the principal was petrified of this night. So we do have the power to intimidate in our world. But the greatest display of God's power wasn't in coercing people, but it was in saving them through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we read in Scripture how when Jesus was on the cross, he could have called on 10,000 angels to just come along, swoop down, take him off that cross, and just totally obliterate the enemies that had put him there. But he chose to just let that power rest. He never called upon that power. He stayed on that cross, and he died as a sacrifice for each one of us. He took our sins upon himself. That's why 1 Corinthians 1.18 reads, The message about the cross doesn't make any sense to lost people. But for those of us who are being saved, it is God's power at work. Of course it doesn't make sense to those who are lost. But once the Holy Spirit starts to work in their lives, all of a sudden the lights come on and they recognize that power. And the apex of God's power came three days later when Jesus conquered our greatest enemy, death. The earth shook. There was an earthquake. And that huge stone that was covering over the door to that tomb was rolled aside. And there was this bright light. And it was so bright that the soldiers that were guarding, they just fell to the ground as dead men. And then Jesus came triumphantly out of that grave to live forever. That was the greatest display of God's power. 1 Corinthians 6, 14. God will raise us from death by the same power that he used when he raised our Lord to life. So in other words, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that he gives to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. A recovering alcoholic said that he was only drunk once in his life, but it was for 13 years. But when he came to his senses, he was in a hospital, and the doctor told him, he said, if you had stayed drinking for 30 more days, he said, you would have killed yourselves. Excuse me, yourself. So he took that as a wake-up call. He actually stopped drinking. He became a Christian, a dedicated Christian, and he became a missionary to Russia. And his life is a testimony that God can resurrect you from the dead of a painful addiction, if you'll allow him. A husband and wife had been together for 25 years. They had five children. 
but they decided to separate. So the husband had moved out of the home, but he came back to their home because he, there was something that he had to pick up. And he noticed the CD on the counter and realized that it was actually a message about people being committed to rekindling love in marriage. So he said, well, I'll take it with me. He took it with him, he listened to it. And as a result of that, he recommitted himself to their marriage. They got back together. Their marriage was restored. It was stronger than ever. And now God has actually given them a ministry of counseling other couples who think that their marriage is over and helps them restore it. So Jesus Christ has the power to raise dead relationships. Now this morning, I talked about some people in our church who were in the second service, so it makes it a little more difficult. But you may know Mahmoud, Shanez, and then their daughter, Serva, and son-in-law, Ali, and granddaughter, Maya. But Mahmoud and Shanez were back home in Iran, and they felt that there was more to God than what they were being taught in Islam. And they had the opportunity to come and visit with Ali and Serva, who were now living and married here in Canada. And after arriving here, they immediately got Ali on the job of finding them a church to go to and be able to investigate Christianity. And luckily, Halifax Christian Church comes right up there when you put in Christian Church in Halifax. And Ali called me, we went to visit, and after a series of meetings, Servant parents, Mahmoud and Chinez, accepted Christ and he baptized them here. And then sometime later, Ali made the same decision and then Serva made the same decision. So God has the power to grant eternal life. And he, he's not bound by where we live. He can take us from the country we live in and bring us to the place where we can find Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1, 4, and 5. In the past, you were dead because you sinned and fought against God. But God is merciful. We were dead because of our sins. But God loved us so much that he made us alive with Christ. In God's wonderful kindness is what saves you. No matter who you are, you have a Savior. You need more than your own power. We're powerless to save ourselves from sin and death. There's just nothing we can do about that at all. But God has the power to do it. God has the power to change your heart. He has the power to alter your desires. He has the power to give you ultimate purpose in life. He has the power to grant you eternal life. But here's the amazing thing. The same God who had the amazing power to create the earth, the same God who has the power to the earth, the same God who has the power to judge is also the God who just knocks kind of quietly on the door of your heart, wanting you to open up your heart to him and to his son Jesus Christ, to allow him to come in and save you. Won't you allow him to do that as we stand and sing?